Have a seat. How's everybody doing? Good. I hope uh, this week you've had a chance. There you are. It's like, where did Dan go? <laughs> hope you had a good time this week just thinking through. Um, those of you that are here last week, we talked a lot about heaven framing who we are and where we're going and what our life is to be about. And so I know I've been praying hard for everybody that was in here. Just that we truly would be this group of people that learn how to frame our existence around that reality. That this, this time frame, like here's one of my thoughts that I had this week. Think about how short this life is. It is so extremely short. And it doesn't matter who I talk to, you know, I'll say something like, oh gosh, I feel like my kids are growing up so fast. And somebody that's like in their 50s, 60s, 70s will say to me, they'll give me that like, that neat little... <laughs> That's nice, young man. You know, but the, what they mean by that is, is life does pass so quick. You start to understand, I think, in a really big way what Solomon was talking about when he said life is a vapor. It just kind of is here today and gone tomorrow. But one of the things that really hit me this week, I was talking with a guy and we were out to, to lunch and he said something to me so fascinating. He said, you know what, Todd? He said, this weekend it hit me. Is oftentimes we're so worried about that point at which we say we came to know Jesus and the point of the return that we forget the journey in between really matters. And we just sat and talked about that reality that the journey in between truly does really matter. It matters a lot. It, and the thing that, that, that I think the Bible always speaks to, especially the book of Matthew that we were looking at last week, is, is what that journey is about. It's revealing the authenticity of who we really are. The journey reveals us. It reveals our authenticity. It reveals true faith that's inside of us or it reveals the faith that's not there. That the beauty of the journey is it's a gracious God that allows us to pass through that to expose who we really are and then to have this time before we face him in judgment one day to be able to deal with these realities that are going on in our life right now. And so everything from uh, uh, marriage reveals who we are. And those of you, you know that. Um, when I first got married, I thought I was a very spiritual person. It took me about one week to realize I wasn't. Um, parenting reveals that in you. Uh, jobs reveal who we are. They just have this way of exposing the inside and to the surface comes these realities. And, and I think the, most, the thing that as I prayed for all of us at Cornerstone is I would hate for anyone to get to the end of life and to hear, depart from me, I don't know you. I just think those words are some of the most... I think brutal words inside of the text of scripture to actually hear depart from me. I, I never knew you. And I think the whole goal behind even last week, what I was hoping you would truly hear was, is that number one, we can know God. Through the person and work of Jesus, we have the capacity to know him. He, in fact, God has always been about this idea of, of making himself known so that we might know him. I mean, that's his, that's his been his goal from the very beginning is the, the, the revealing of himself so that we might come to him and know him and and so last week, my, my heart really was that we wouldn't go and try to work harder. In fact, the biggest thing I was hoping we would understand is, is you don't have to work harder. You need to find God. And when you find God, out of it comes a desire to work. Uh, you, can't, you can't put those two. In fact, if you try to do the one before the other, that just ends up being fleshy. It ends up being done out of my own power. And, and that's not what God is after. God is after what happens when we are exposed to this big holy God. The spirit of God indwells us. And then what comes out of our life are these, these, this fruit, these works that, that can only come from him. And so um, what we're going to do this week is this. 
Um, I told you last week, probably one of the guys that I've appreciated the most about just the whole issue of uh, dealing through stewardship is Dan Lovejoy. He's one of our elders. And it's funny, I see Spencer in here. He's one of the other guys that I've always appreciated thinking through the stewardship thing. Um, and, and what does it look like to have a life where you authentically um, live in such a way that you, you, you are living out the character of God in your life? You're living out the reality of who you honestly believe about God. Stewardship has that way of, of revealing that. So what we're going to try to do, um, and I'm going I'm to lob softballs to Dan and uh, let him uh, uh, hit them. And also, if you have any emails, don't send them to me. He's a big boy. He can handle it. He'll, we'll, we'll send it off to him to be able to deal with it. But we're going to try to deal through a, a, some, some key things. And we're going to try to land last week's message. And I know it's not preaching. And I know maybe that's what you heard last week. And, but this week, what we're going to try to do is answer some questions about family and marriage. How is it that stewardship gets landed in marriage and family? How is it that stewardship gets landed inside of being a part of the body of Christ? How is it that stewardship gets landed inside of uh, things like my job? And even we're going to finish just even dealing with things like possessions and money. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of lo- throw those out to him. We're going to have some questions in the middle of some of these. And, and what these questions are for is just to, to, to kind of cause you to probe your own heart and ask the question, how am I doing as a steward? All right, so that's what we're going to be doing today uh, under the premise. And please, let me just, I always feel like whenever we talk about um, works and fruit in our life, you can't produce works that God wants. God through you can produce works that he wants. Everyone always has this tendency to try to work hard after some some of these different messages. And let me tell you something. You don't have to work hard. You need to find God. You've got to. Once we get exposed to who God is, then out of us comes these particular works. So don't think somehow that you're going to please God. Um, I am fully acceptable to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Out of that acceptance now comes work, not vice versa. I don't work to try to gain acceptance. I am accepted and therefore I work. There's a huge distinction between the two. So as we talk through that today, make sure that that you deal with that. But let me just kind of throw the first one out and I'll kind of, there you go. Here comes your first one. Marriage and family, man. Get us started. What, uh, how does stewardship, kind of what we talked about last week, uh, land with marriage and family? Well, there are a couple of things. Are we hot? There we go. Can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear me? Okay, good. I'm much better with that. Thank you very much. Um, I'm much better talking than I am, or much better interactive. Um, First of all, let's go back and talk about where a steward is, and that is someone that just doesn't own it, okay? It's someone who handles something that God has given them. Are we okay with that? That makes sense. And one of the things that prevents us from being a good steward is the concept that we think we own it, Okay? So if I refer to Carol as my wife, I'm already off the base because, to some extent, God has entrusted her to me. He's really God's, right? Okay. So if I want my... So if Carol is really my wife, then what I want from her is, after a hard day at work, I want to find her in a beautiful red dress with uh, uh, beef wellington, a twice-baked potato... Uh, asparagus tips, drawn butter maybe, and um, a nicely chilled Cabernet to go with it all. But if she is in fact God's daughter, what I really want is to find a note that says, dinner's in the fridge, I'm out with the girls praying for schools. And the difference is complete, a complete 
difference in my heart about what I want her to be. Because part of my goal as a husband is to make sure that she lives out what God has called her to do. Now, sometimes, thankfully, that's a red dress in Beef Wellington. But a lot of times, more often than not, it isn't that. It's what God's called her to do. Um, and, as, and as a wife, her job really is, is kind of the same thing. Her jo- I mean, I can't, do, I can't be an elder and do some of the things that I'm doing without her behind me. It's not even possible. Rick's shaking his head. He knows it for fact that we've got to have a woman behind us that says, look, this is your call. You need to be living that out. Um, if we drop down into kids, uh, they're going to hate me. Um, <laughs> if we drop down... Huh? Nothing. Keep Nothing. Going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Somewhere Can you put else. his email up on the screen? Yeah, don't do that. I think it'd be best just to throw it up there right now. He's See, saying all the things that I've thought but never had the guts to say. Go on with yourself. Go. Right. Go, Dan. Go. Yeah, here we go. You're going to be little Dan effigies burning all over town. I can see it now. Um, when we talk about our kids, though, I think one of the problems is we get very protective. Um, I think fathers at some level understand stewardship of their kids, of their, of their sons, pretty well. Son... Go out into the world. You know, my kid had stitches by the time he was three, and he's a guy. And Actually, I think Tommy did have stitches by the time he was three, but that's beside the point. Um, But with our daughters, that's a totally different thing. Those are our daughters, not God's, and we protect them to the death. Mom sometimes, Mother Bear comes out, and we protect our kids. Mothers mothers protect their kids in any way, shape, or form that they can. Um, I think sometimes... We, we do that simply out of fear and our desire to protect our kids as if, quite frankly, God needed our help in protecting them in the first place, um, which I don't think he does. And I think if you're honest with yourself, I think you realize that God doesn't need our help in protecting our kids. So, um, and, I, and I think too often we forget that these kids are God's. We, we just completely lose track of the fact that these kids belong to God and that he has entrusted, this, entrusted them to us, and even that for just a short period of time, right? I mean, if you're 35 and you're living with mom and dad, you probably have a problem. But, um, but So theoretically, theoretically, you're supposed to be living with your parents for a short period of time. Um, I know, Todd's 36, he just moved out. Um, but, I, but I think, too, one of the ways that models in it is, and, um, and the, way we, the way we overprotect, I think, is we throw our kids into all these activities. I mean, I, I've got a friend of mine who's a soccer parent, and um, Bill Lucas is, is coaching a kid's soccer team. And he's coaching the kid's soccer team on purpose because what he wants to do is he wants to reach out to the parents in the soccer team. Okay? Makes sense. I get that. But how do you do that if your kid's on the school team, the travel team, and the club team? I mean, how, how in the world can you really be involved not only in your kid's life, but in, the parents, but in the parents' lives? And are you really stewarding your child, or sorry, God's child, what's best for them? And I think sometimes we just, I think sometimes we lose track of 
what we're doing. We just lose track. We forget that this is God's wife. We forget that this is God's husband, that this is the husband that God has entrusted me with. Um, or that I'm the husband, Carol. Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, thankfully, you know what I mean. And, uh, and that these kids were entrusted to us. So stewardship in a, in, a, in a family relationship gets very strange very quick. Now, real quick off of that, like um, I think what you're, one of the things you're getting at, especially like with around sports, I think we live in an activity-crazed culture, a sports-crazed culture, a, in other words, this busy thing. <clears throat> uh, kind of what it seems to be you're saying, and maybe you can clarify this a little bit more, is that what we need to do is think more along the lines of our kids' engagement in knowing God and being engaged with God versus just our kids and being busy. Because I remember one time a parent said to me, um, I keep my kids busy because Satan is in, uh, uh, whatever, non-busyness. I can't remember yeah. what they said. But like they're so afraid that they keep them busy. And in the long run, though, what they found out was is that busyness actually drew them away from God and got them engaged in other things. Well, just as I'm a steward of my wife and I expect her and I have to present her before God, I have to give her back. At some level, I have to do the same thing with my kids. And if I keep them so swamped in doing all this other stuff, they are never going to know what their calling is. They're never going to know what they're, what they're able to do um, because I've kept them so busy doing everything else. They don't have a clue what God's asked them to do except maybe play center forward, um, which may not be what he's asked him to do at all. Yeah, I think it's even interesting. We oftentimes don't care. We'd, when's the last time a parent just thought, you know what, even if they're uh, the left uh, fullback, um, it's okay. Yeah. We always want our kid to be the star. And a lot of times that reveals even something inside of our heart yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. Or the A student or whatever it might be. Yeah. Let me just throw some questions up just to kind of guide us along. Just to, as, with, for you as a, maybe a husband, let's just start off with this. Uh, this is one that Dan put up. Regardless of whom your wife is or what she has done, I guess, oh, that's mine. Sorry, I almost threw you under the bus for mine. Um, for whom your wife is or what she has done, do you believe that she is the woman that God has given to you to uniquely love? Now, I say that from this standpoint. Oftentimes I hear this. People come into my office and uh, a wife will say to me something along the lines or a, a husband will say to me, yeah, but you don't understand my wife. And they will lay out all the reasons why somehow they don't need to love their wife. And oftentimes I take them to a book like Hosea in which God asked a man to love a prostitute. And I look at him and say, maybe, just maybe, that this woman, regardless of who she is, is one you've been called to love. Did you ever bother to think in spite of all the difficulties that God might actually want you to love this one? So that's what's kind of behind the question. The next one is this, has your involvement in your wife's life made her more prepared to stand before God? This is one that I've been working through in my own life is that if my job is to truly join God in the sanctification of my wife, that means that what I'm doing is everything in her life am I coming alongside of her with the goal being one day I'm preparing her to be beautiful in front of God. And not beautiful necessarily on the outside, but beautiful where? In the heart, right? I'm going after the heart of my wife, which, by the way, oftentimes gets you in various problems because sometimes your heart and your wife's heart, because we are uh, uh, people that have sin in our lives, sometimes that does cause confrontation. And what that does mean is, is do you love this wife enough that sometimes you will confront her over various issues? Uh, the next one, do you encourage your wife to live out her gifting and calling by God? Or do you place uh, your own restrictions, expectations on her? And I know you wrote that particular question. I think what happens a lot is, is we'll, we'll get a hint of to what our wife is supposed to be doing. 
But to the extent that she's out praying, I'm missing out on a red dress and beef wellington. And I don't know that I like that very much. So sometimes, guys, we'll place restrictions or, or expectations about what we want from our wives that will, prevent, that will literally prevent her from doing what God has called her to do. Now, answer this question for me. Can you think of anything worse? I mean, we're actually saying, God, I know what you've got planned for her, but my plan is for me, and it's a little better. We can't do that. We've got to let, we have to, as stewards of our wives, we have to allow God to, to, we have to allow the wife to live out her gifting and her calling and encourage her to do so, not lock her down and keep her from doing that. Good. Go to the next one, wives. Uh, Kind of the same thing off of this, regardless of whom your husband is or what he has done, do you believe that he is the man that God has given to you to uniquely respect? I mean, I think that's one of the issues out of both both, uh, Ephesians 5 and and Colossians 3. And again, um, oftentimes there's always the awkward out clause concept. Well, you don't understand my husband. My husband is addicted to porn. My husband is this. My husband is that. And again, it comes back to, though, do you believe, though, that you can uniquely demonstrate the gospel in a greater way if you stay together with this particular man? And I think that's tough, and especially like one lady really confronted me last week, but yeah, but what if my husband is abusive? I think that question oftentimes comes up a lot, and I think what we're dealing with in this particular case is, is that, first of all, we live in a country that allows you to deal with abuse. They're called the police, and there's a, there's a way of going through that. But there's this other side of it, though, that respect is something that is not something that's earned as much as we're told. Respect is something we give because of what God's done in our life. There's a huge distinction between the two, and that's kind of the heart of that question. Do you encourage your husband to find his gifting and use that for the body? Or is the list of projects, expectations you want too large to allow that? And uh, that was one of yours. Yeah, that was one of mine. It's not personal, Carol. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, no a lot of times guys say you know hey I'd like to get involved in that ministry but I you know my wife's got this list of 62 things I've got to do and so I just can't do that Um, I know that really I'm not a bad teacher and I'd love to help but I can't because you know I you know I've put this drywall project off for the last seven years so it's you know this is the weekend I now have to do that so um, I think sometimes Wives especially, you you need to look at your husband's gifting and really say, you know what, I know the drywall's been sitting in the garage for seven years, but this guy, this family needs you more than I need drywall. Okay, And that, for a lot of wives, is incredibly difficult. It's very, very tough. Yeah. Another part off of that that I think is, one time my wife and I were counseling a couple, and the lady, she... She said, yeah, but what about my dreams and my goals and misses? And she's just listing off all these things that because she got married and because she had kids that now she doesn't get to do. And I remember my wife looking back at her and saying, once you got married and once you had kids, your dreams changed. And what she meant by that was, is that now all of a sudden God has entrusted to you something different and unique. Is that with these kids, now we understand the Bible specifically talks about it, that with a wife, I think because we have so belittled motherhood, we've lost the reality that the hand that rocks the cradle, what? Rules the world. 
There's a privilege amongst wives that they have to be able to truly shape the next generation, which the Bible always talks about the importance of it. And so with that comes just this reality, though. One of the things in which a, 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 a mother has to be gifted in is the passing on to her children of what it means to follow Jesus as well as the husband. Let's look at kids. First question, do you really see your family as the one that God specifically placed you into, regardless of whether they're even some of the more difficult questions of abuse, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, and given you for your growth and development, even if it is through the school of what sometimes we call hard knocks or, or learning in ways that we wish we hadn't, or are these loser parents you have, your addition, yep. <laughs> my kids would never call me losers yet. They're still young. (laughs) Yeah, ones you can hardly wait to get away from. So maybe that's kind of your question. Why don't you maybe go into that a little bit? Well, I think at some point, if we're honest with ourselves, parents, be honest with yourself. Have you ever been the loser parent? You're alone, dude. Okay. I I think we all have. I think at some point we're the loser parent. But kids, the the concept for children is, look, God could have had you born anywhere in the world. He could have picked the parents... He can choose who it is, and for some reason, children, and I say this to myself in my relationship to my folks, for some reason, God orchestrated generational lines back from the time of Noah to put you with the parents you had. Do you understand that concept? I know what it took for Carol and I to meet, but what did it take for her mom and dad to meet and for my mom and dad to meet? in order for them to meet, for me to be born, for Carol to be born, for us to get to our kids. Do you understand the map that's got to happen in order for the kids, in order for God to put the kids where he wants them? Orchestrated from the beginning of time. And kids, I think too often we look at our parents and go, they don't know what they're talking about. I can hardly wait to get out of here. But I think when you stop and you realize, wait a minute, God has put me here, has entrusted me this relationship with my parents to bring him glory. And God didn't just say, he threw me here. No, 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 no. God orchestrated who who your parents were going to be. And I think a lot of times as kids, they just, we we lose the concept of who our parents are. Right? I think at least the last question is, do you value adults? (laughs) Some parents out there, amen, you go on. (laughs) You go on, Dan. The last question, do you value adults in your life? Um, As a former high school pastor and college pastor and working with students, the one thing I've found is that college ministry and student ministry, as much as I wish I could look back and say, no, not my ministry, oftentimes it's a pooling of ignorance. Because you get enough college students and junior hires in the same room or college students and high school students in the same room or college students in the same room, apart from just the influx of wisdom of life, Oftentimes what happens is, is it's just a, a pooling of ignorance and sort of value adults in your life to be able to speak into it, which that middle question, when is the last time that you allowed your parents to input into the secret things in your life? For young men in here, and just to kind of be honest across the board, we know that right now the impact of sexual sin in our culture is massive. And there's nothing more than Satan wants to do than with high school students, college students, I don't care what in here, than to get you to not reveal these secret things to your parents. But yet God, what God wants you to do is to be open about it, to be honest about it, to bring those things to the surface, to be able to deal with it. Uh, I think uh, amongst girls right now, there's a massive image problem. 
this image of somehow that they have to live up to something that, that is so wrong and so different in, in regards to how we, we kind of, we, what the world says a woman is supposed to be. But yet those secret things in her life are important. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> Singleness. And this is one that I've spent a lot of time thinking through just because I've taught 1 Corinthians for the last few years. But Paul told the Corinthians that singleness is a gift. It's a stewardship. Those of you that are single, are you stewarding your current life situation of singleness well? In other words, are you taking full advantage of it, the next question, of all that singleness has to offer for his kingdom or for yours? And what I mean by that, it doesn't matter if you're someone that's widowed, it doesn't matter if you're someone that's divorced, it doesn't matter if you're someone that's never been married. The thing that Paul's going to talk about is, is that for the kingdom, singleness has a phenomenal advantage than to the married life. Now, married life has its other advantages, but the singleness to which Paul talks about it has the capacity to advance the kingdom differently. Here's the next question. Grandparents, how do your grandkids see you? If they watched your life, would they see a picture of finishing your life well? That one is massive. I know as I've talked to certain people, one guy that I I met with before I moved out here, a guy named Don, he said, you know what? The thing I never wanted to let my grandkids see is me wasting my life playing games when I have a reality of a kingdom to build. I'm not going to waste my life on a golf course my last few years of my life. Now, that didn't mean that golf is bad. What that meant was, is his life, he didn't want to be shaped by his handicap. He wanted his life to be shaped by the kingdom. And it was just this guy, you could see it in his life the way it came out, so with grandparents. So, go ahead and shut that down. Why don't you speak a little bit to maybe just the body. Stewardship inside of the body of Christ, being involved in the body. Wow, okay, that's the easy one. Um. Um, you know, believe it or not, I have been given part of the body at Cornerstone. Um, as an elder, I have a responsibility to take that body, bring it before the throne, and return it to God better than I found it. Right? Okay. Now that's, first of all, not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. But even bigger than that, or as big as that, I have a, a responsibility to help to, to see the body operate. Gosh, what's the best way to put this? I have a responsibility to see the body operate as a body. And I, I know that sounds redundant because it, it kind of is, but, but, there are, but if, your gift, if your gift is to be a hand, I don't want to put you in shoes, Okay? Um, and, 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 and understanding that the gift that God has given me is to be put in play in the body, okay? That my gift is not just about me. I don't operate my gift in a vacuum. I operate in a whole body context. And as I take that gift that God has given me and put it in play, I'm really handling what he gave me to be used in a larger body concept. Good. Let's throw some questions up there kind of off of that. Have you recognized that God specifically empowered you to give and use your gifts, talents, and abilities for the body that he put you in? Maybe you want to explain that one just a little bit? Well, I think sometimes, I think sometimes uh, somebody says, you know, well, when I was over here at this church, I did this. And when I was over here, I did this. And when I was over here, I did this. And the point is that 
Um, it's not an accident that you're here. And the gifts that you bring to this body should be used in this body. Um, and, the, and the talents and the abilities that you have ought to be functioning in the body. Um, I'm a tax guy, okay? So a lot of my talents and use in the body end up those kinds of questions. But I can't do everything, so... But, um, but realistically, it's God's empowerment in some of those talents and abilities that he's given me to be used in the body. Morgan's got different talents and abilities. And to the extent that he puts those into the body, then the body as, it, as a whole ends up representing Christ all that much better. Which, here's the second question, maybe just answer that one. Do you see all that he has given to you as something you can hide and take out wherever you feel like if you really ever feel like it? Maybe explain that one a little bit, just kind of off this idea of hiding your, all those different things. <laughs> Let's say that I'm really good at uh, hospitality. And one of the things I like to do is I like to have people over, but the problem is, um, and this is a hypothetical, uh, but the problem is that I don't really like the carpet color I have right now, and so I'm really not going to use my hospitality because until I can get new carpet. And so what I do sometimes is I take my gift of hospitality and I bury it. I just hide that talent that's been given to me, that gift that's been given to me, and I'll use it whenever I feel like it, when the carpet comes in two years or three years or seven years or whatever it is. At that point, then I feel like I can bring my gift out and use it for the body. When all along, did I really think that my gift of hospitality, that the people I was going to be hospitable to really cared about the color of my carpet? Did I really think they were that shallow? No, I don't think so, but that's the mentality I get when I forget that my gift is mine. It's really God's gift that he's entrusted to me to use whenever, he, whenever and however he sees fit. And even to part of it, just off of this, one of the things I've been so convicted about lately has been the fact that oftentimes we're looking where to serve, but we're missing the fact that the body needs to serve us. Sometimes I've found that it's our pride keeps others from allowing others to serve us. We, we, we tend to go reclusive. We tend to go back into our little shell. Even though we need help and we need the rest of the body to impact on us, that's why Paul is talking. In 1 Corinthians 12, he said, the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The reality of the body is, is that we all need one another. We need every last aspect of everyone. And, and sometimes I remember back in the 80s, there used to be these things called spiritual gifts tests. This idea that somehow you're going to go through a test and it's going to, at the end of it, tell you, here's where you're supposed to serve. Now, I can't see Paul going into Corinth and going, guess what? I got this incredible spiritual gifts test. And I'm going to hand it all out to you. And what's going to happen is you're going to take this test and then you know where you serve. The thing that actually he's going to say is, is just dive into the body. Just dive in. You don't know what you do well until you actually you dive in and then you start to find out because people start to see what you do well. Um, some of you are able to do some incredible things, but you've been learning to how to use it for God's glory. I know um, Sandy's here, so I'll pick on her because I don't mind picking on her. Oh, now she's looking the other way. Don't just keep looking over here. The thing that I've appreciated about her is that while she has a phenomenal ability to administrate cornerstones, she's also got involved in a different ministry that is involved in, in rescuing orphans from, uh, or rescuing uh, kids out of child prostitution and things like that. In other words, she didn't just somehow even limit her ability to serve here, but she saw where God was working elsewhere, and she's become a part of what God's doing around. And some of you are doing the same thing. 
In other words, it's just diving into the body and saying, God, you're doing something on this planet. What part do you want me to play to be able to do that? So that's kind of the body. Here's the next one we're going to talk about. It's kind of just this idea of the job. You can shut that down for a second. Work and the job. Maybe you want to speak to work and job. How does, how does stewardship look like with work and the job? Okay. Um, when you went in for the job interview, who got you the job? You did? Was it your phenomenal resume? Um, was it the headhunter that said, oh, yeah, this is the guy and you definitely need to do this? Um, or do you think just off the shot that perhaps God orchestrated you to be in the job you're in? Now, it's just a thought, but maybe, maybe God had a hand in getting you the job. And I dare say that a lot of times we look at our jobs as ours, not as the place that God put us to work. Um, I think that impacts whether or not we're playing solitaire while we're on hold. I think it impacts the number of hours of Farmville that we're playing uh, at work. I'm scared you know that. I have kids. Um, I, think it impacts, I think it impacts whether or not we do our job with excellence or whether or not we just bide our time until the clock clicks five. Um, I don't know. At 5 o'clock, are you still assuming that you have a job that can end at 5 o'clock? At 5 o'clock, are you sitting at your desk still working? Or did you find the bathroom, have your last cup of coffee, and you're packed and ready to go at 4.58? I think it depends how you see your job, whether or not you are a steward, whether or not you see that this God, that this job belonged to God and has entrusted you to work with it. How you operate in that job is a key indicator of whether or not you see it as yours or God's. Okay? Um, I'm in a job right now that I am one of few believers in in the company. And I don't think that God's going to call me away from that company until I've had a bigger impact than I have. Now, I've already got people steering away from my office, but I've also got people coming into my office saying, I need prayer or I need this, or this is going on in my life, and I don't know what to do next. And the issue is, um, I think we have to look at our job as how it works in relation to uh, whether or not we see it as God's. Does that make sense? Yeah, I didn't think off of it. I went to, I remember one time, I heard this guy speaking, talking about the pulpit being the sacred desk. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say that every desk that a, a believer is involved in is sacred? And from the standpoint of what they're called to do and to be about, that is a sacred desk. That has a, a component in which they're playing out their part and their role in, the, in what the kingdom is. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think it, to the extent, well, that's why I go back to the interview. You know, if, if, if God got me the job, then this is his job in the first place, which means I better live it out as if it's his job, which means the only reason I'm there is to flush out and to live out what he's called me to do. And to that extent, it is sacred. It is set apart. It is holy. God didn't just dump me in this place for no other reason. He put me here specifically because this is where he wanted me to be. Yeah, I just, the Puritans, I don't know if you've ever read the Puritans before, they had this concept in which every job was sacred. 
They believed every last thing that they did had within it a component that they were called to that job. And what they did then out of that calling was is they began to live that life in such a way that people would see the gospel spring out of their work. So in other words, how hard they worked and how they focused. And, and they even had a saying with, within Protestantism is, is where you are, be there. And their whole concept behind that idea of it was when you're at work, be at work. Let people see God at work. When you go home, then be at home. Let God be seen out of your home. They had a, they had a huge aspect of that. So here's the, here's the couple questions for all of you. How did you get this job or business anyway? And I think <laughs> you've covered that one. Do you truly see it as the means that God uses to meet some of your needs and provide you the opportunity to give? Or is this the means to live in the house you always wanted and keep your family safe? Those of you that own businesses, is your business above reproach? Maybe do you want to kind of talk to that as a, as a whole just before we move on? Well, I think sometimes we look at the job we've, we got um, or we pick jobs so that we can keep, so that, again, we go back to our concept of protection, okay? And our whole job, you know, our whole goal is to get enough money to keep the family safe. So we buy a bigger house in a gated community um, to even keep more protected. And, I th- and I'm not necessarily speaking against that but I, th- I think we have to look at what's our what's our motivation what's our function um, is your business above reproach I don't know did you take in 10% of your gross receipts in cash so you didn't have to report them technically don't answer that because I'm sitting here but um, <laughs> but uh, but realistically what's how how are you operating your business are you paying your employees fairly are you paying them as independent contractors so you don't have to carry a workers' comp on them just because you don't want to have to pay the cost? Um, there's a whole level of whether or not your business is, is operating above reproach. If you're telling a client, look, I'll have this for you in three weeks, are you doing it in two and a half or are you doing it in ten? Knowing full well that you weren't going to get to it for ten weeks anyway. I mean, there's a whole ownership, uh, there's a whole stewardship of how am I, am I operating this entity? Am I working this company as if it belonged to God? Yeah, and you know what, too, off of that, like, I think entrepreneurship has gotten a bad name in our culture lately. This idea of this person that starts a business, and we forget the gospel means that a Christian has to create jobs. Do you realize what a blessing that is to be this person that out of the creation of jobs, you actually give people work? Right. From the very beginning, God designed us from the garden to do work. He wanted us to work. He wanted us to be about work. In other words, to not work actually has within it the connotation of missing what God has created us to be. And so this idea, though, of this entrepreneur that starts a business, that gets a business going, that actually then employs people, becomes this massive demonstration of the gospel. The last thing maybe just to speak to, and it's kind of the, the big thing you and I have always gone to you on, is just the issue of specifically money and possessions and things like that. Maybe do you want to kind of take some time and work through that before we, we get out of here today? This is why they bring the accountant up to talk about this stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, part of the problem in, in stewardship with relation to finance, probably the biggest barrier to good stewardship is contentment. And I think the problem is, at least, and I speak out of my own life, I think the issue is that sometimes we're just dissatisfied. We're dissatisfied with the house. We're dissatisfied with the car. We're dissatisfied with the clothes. And so we buy things we can't afford for people we don't know with money we don't have. Um, 
on the concept that it's all mine anyway. And we lose, and we do this because we lack contentment. Because we're at some level dissatisfied, because that's what a lack of contentment is, we're dissatisfied with the gifts that God has given us. Really? We're dissatisfied with what God gave us. And so we're going to change it, and we're going to take it over, and we're going to do something differently with it. And this lack of contentment breeds all kinds of problems. It breeds greed and a, 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 something, a, a desire to not give, to hoard, and to keep for myself because I'm just simply not content. Now, maybe I think we don't realize that God will provide all of our needs. I mean, I think we talk about that. We say that we believe God will provide all our needs. And yet, we just kind of stick that in the background because when I say needs, what I really mean is wants. And I think that I don't see that God provides all my wants. Well, sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. I'm still waiting for my mini bike when I was seven. <laughs> but apparently, that wasn't, a, well, that wasn't a need. The issue, though, becomes the fact that we're not content, the fact that we think God doesn't provide our needs is because I think sometimes we think God is just stingy. And we look at God and we say, really, you're not, I don't trust you enough. The reason that I'm not content and that I don't trust your gift is because I don't think you're going to come through when I need you to. I don't think you're going to keep your promise, which breeds a lack of contentment. And it's because our hearts don't recognize that what we have belongs to God, that we truly are stewards of what we have of what he's entrusted us to. And so sometimes we begin to hoard. We begin to gather a thousand things. We build a pantry that'll store food for six years. We buy meals ready to eat for a year and a half after that. Um, And we do that because we just simply don't think that we're concerned that God's not going to provide our needs. So we begin to hoard. So I have a question for you or a few questions for you. I want some examples biblically of people in Scripture, and quite frankly, now that I think of it, they're not all people, of people in Scripture that saved. Give me some examples. Savers in Scripture. Joseph. Joseph. Excellent. David, when? Okay. What else? When? The Israelites saved manna from heaven. What happened to it when they saved it? Rotted. Not a very good result. Uh, What else? Jonah saved? His own skin. (laughs) That's good. That's good. That's good. That didn't work out well either. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a couple of other examples. Uh, You guys remember the ant... In Proverbs 6, the ant who stores for the winter, and the story of uh, the rich man in Luke 12 who builds bigger and bigger barns. There's Achan in Joshua 7, um, who decides that he's going to save a bunch of stuff, and it ends up costing him his life and his families, um, and generations to come. The problem is, when we look at savers in Scripture, we're kind of stuck with two basic types. Those who save for themselves, Achan, the Israelites in manna, um, 
okay? Yeah, the rich man in his barns. And the other type, which is the ant and Joseph and others. And basically we have two types, those who say for themselves and those who say for others. So I have a question for you. What are you saving for? I'll tell you, when I asked that question to myself, I did not have a good time answering it. Because I'm telling you, I didn't like the look of my 401k, which is almost back to a 401. It's not quite a 201 anymore. Um, but I didn't like the look of my 401k. I didn't, look like, I didn't like the look of my savings account because all of a sudden I realized all of those things I was saving for me, not for some need somebody else had. And I guess the question is, if I really realize that God is going to give me my needs and God is going to protect me from this stuff, should I really look at my savings as the ability to meet someone else's need? The way you can tell that is if you've saved $3,000 as a down payment on a car and you find a bona fide need, not someone who just says, hey, can I borrow three grand, but you find a bona fide need and you actually pray about it and God says, yes, this is a true need. Are you going to give up the down payment on the car that you've been saving a year for? It's just something I want you to think about. Be careful about saying, I'm saving all this for me. Now, at some level... We save for future needs. At some level, I save, and I hate to say this, at some level I save because I don't think you guys are going to come through. Agreed? There's a whole concept to saving that says, I save because I don't think, somebody, I don't think God's going to use the body properly to meet my needs. So either now I don't trust God or I don't trust you. So I think we, we have to be careful when we just say, Yes, I'm stashing all this money away. Okay? Makes sense? Now I'm sure they're going to burn me. But. DLoveJoy at Haber.com. Anyway, so <clears throat> um, maybe just real quick, do you want to answer just the concept of giving and generosity? Maybe concepts of like tithing and I think people always ask us questions along those okay. lines. Um, let's talk about the, the kind of the 10% concept, which started in the Old Testament. It was specifically demanded. Demanded? I would say so. Uh, God sets down a lie. I would call that a demand. Um, specifically demanded by God to be given to the temple. Um, but that did not exclude the other things that they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be um, giving uh, above and beyond that. They were supposed to be caring for strangers and, the, strangers and aliens in their land. And we say that, and I think, okay, gosh, you know, the stranger and alien in my land today, I'm going to give the guy 100 bucks on the corner, which may or may not be the right thing to do. But the care of a stranger and alien in their, t- in their land was they put the guy up in the house for two months. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start putting somebody in my house for two or three months, I'm starting to realize a couple of things. First, I'm pretty sure this isn't my house anymore, um, which is good because I've got to see it as God's and I'm the steward anyway. Um, but the other issue, too, is that all of a sudden, now all the money I'm spending on this, am I supposed to, am I swapping out the money that I'm supposed to be tithing for this? And I think the answer is no. I don't think you can get there biblically. I think this is one of those over and above sacrificial things, and that just, quite frankly, gets painful sometimes, um, which is when we're forced to rely on God to meet our needs. So there is this circle that I think we've got to, we've got to go through. What about, you, you spoke last service about the concept of loss of a job. Does that, does that give me an out clause? I don't know. You're going to make me do this. Okay. 
Um, one of the things that happens a lot of times when we're talking about finance is um, we realize that I will tell you that the time in my life when I was the greediest was when I lost my job. And I just love sharing that with you. Um, I was greediest because I realized that I looked at things and I said, okay, God, you see how much money there is and you see what the bills are. And so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to restrict what I'm giving you and I'm going to give you time instead. Not also, note, instead. And so as a result, I gave God a lot of time, got, a lot, got involved in a lot of ministries, which was great. Had no problem with that. Except I completely became greedy because now every penny belonged to who? Me. Every penny was mine. And for some reason, I had completely forgotten the story of the widow's mite. Who said, who God, who Christ specifically says, she gave it all. All. Everything she had, she gave it up. And I think sometimes when we're looking at, we don't have a job, we don't know where the next penny's coming from, we look at it and we say, okay, God, I have to keep this. It's the only way I know it's going to work out. And I think that's the time when we need to really stop and focus and say, is this mine or is it God's? That's when stewardship has to take control. It has to take control. Yeah. And I think off of it, just so you know, we're not trying to now convince you that you're supposed to give to just Cornerstone. Um, I think his point is, is that hospitality, you don't give that to Cornerstone. Hospitality is something that happens when you just, between you and other believers, you take care of things. Um, I look around and there are people within our body that are hurting. Are we aware of those needs and are we not giving it through Cornerstone, but are we actually looking around there and bringing to bear on other people's needs to make sure that those within the body are taken care of? Um, there's all kinds of different ways to give. I think we should give to our local body to be able to carry out what God's called us to be about in regards to global ministry and the different things happening around here. But I do think when we look at giving, there's this idea too often that we give out of what we have, not out of, out of our poverty. Yeah. And I think there's a heart that oftentimes is talked about in the Bible where we give, uh, we give into uh, pain and struggle. Again, not so because we're masochists, but because we love to see God come through. We love to put ourselves in a position to see God come through. And, and we're not talking stupidity in that case. We need to make sure that we're operating out of faith, not out of stupidity. There's a, there's a huge distinction there. But this idea of giving be, being a huge reality. And again, you know, Cornerstone, we've never been about being a church that somehow sucks in money. Our heart is, is that actually we would give more. Cornerstone has always been about trying to give more. Because I do believe there's this concept that it is more blessed to give than to receive. If Jesus said it, it has to be true. It must be a true statement to, to live out that reality of giving away. And oftentimes, I think as we hoard, we start to realize that stuff is so unsatisfying in comparison to being engaged in what God's doing in his yeah. kingdom and on this earth. Yeah. So. yeah, and I think, too, um, one, of the, one of the downsides, too, is that a lot of people, there are some people that have some serious wealth. And a lot of times, too, we, as, as, as Christians... We say, well, they can meet the need. They've got it. Hmm. Um, and we kind of put this undue pressure on somebody who's got extra uh, to, to make them meet the need so I don't have to. Or we just kind of expect them to do it. And for those, who, for those who have wealth, one of the most difficult things is a lot of times they end up giving out of guilt. 
because, you know, God gave me all this stuff and I don't know what else to do with it, so I'm just going to give it. Well, you know, they have the same responsibility to evaluate needs and ministries that we do, okay, that aren't wealthy. They've got the same responsibility before God to be stewards of what God's entrusted them just like we do. Just like there are a lot of times I just don't walk up and start throwing 20s on the street, okay? Actually, I can't think I've ever done that, but... Uh, I do it all the time. I'm, okay. Yeah. The point, the point being that just like they shouldn't be just slapping money at, at thing after thing after thing, neither should we, and we have to look at the fact that, that sometimes the wealthy have a, have a more difficult problem really evaluating the needs of ministries and really trying to meet those needs. Here's what we're going to do. If you're somebody in this room that struggles with stewardship, especially around everything from marriage, family, um, even yet this last service I ran into somebody that was struggling through just the giftedness of singleness. And and even uh, my wife and I have struggled through the the reality that that God has never chosen to allow us to have children. Um, There was even a woman that came up, you know, just mentioned that why hasn't God entrusted her with kids? And I look at her all the time and I say, because... God may be choosing a pasty white person to adopt little beautiful brown kids. That's why. There may be this reality in which because God never gave my wife and I kids, we ran into this reality of adoption and this reality of the foster care system, a thing that I'm so glad now that God never gave us a chance. The other reality is, is that the same way that God gives kids, he does what? Sometimes takes them away in different ways. He takes them away, they go off to school, but sometimes even too, some people have wrestled through just this reality of kids that have passed away at a young age and, or even you know, various things that, that have to do with why does my kid have this health problem? Why does my husband have this health problem? My wife. All these things I don't think some, are supposed to be walked through alone. They're a stewardship. There's something that God gives you out of an opportunity to display the gospel and sometimes those things are tough. And so if you need prayer this morning and walking through that, we'd love to pray for you. Um, if you're somebody that's even looking at just how do, I, how do I deal with this money thing, you might be somebody with a job or without a job. We definitely want to walk with you through this because we want nothing more. And again, this is our heart. We want everyone to stand well in front of Jesus one day. Not because of anything you've done in and of yourself, but because of what Jesus has done in you, the work of Jesus, and then what he not only did at one point in your life when you first came to know him, but has done throughout your life on this journey that when you stand in front of God one day, you bring with you all these amazing things that he's done through your life where he says, I told you you're one of mine. I told you with my kids. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was hungry, you gave me to eat. I had no clothing, you gave me clothing. In other words, those realities are what he's talking about is this this evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So if you're somebody here today that struggles through that, we'd love to pray with you. I know this wasn't preaching. We wanted to take just a little bit of a different vantage point this morning. But I hope it's been something that's been able to help you think through in your own head how stewardship gets, uh, gets handled. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you so much that while uh, we understand there's no way we could in any way whatsoever merit our relationship we have with you, our ability to come near to you, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of the cross, paying that, that penalty that we were owed, that separated us. Thank you so much for uh, the tomb that demonstrated that your son truly is King Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would do a work in this room, a work amongst people, that you would so compel us, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but instead, Father, would you compel us out of a large vision of who you are and what you're doing in our marriages, in our families, everything, Father. Would you please just give us such a grand vision of you that we hold on to the things of this world loosely, 
because we understand that the next life, what you have to offer is so much greater. Thank you so much for every person that's in here. In your precious name we pray, amen.